Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and a big welcome to the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest and wish to participate in the chat, you can sign in through your Facebook account or Blog Talk Radio. I will also open the lines in the second half of the show so that you can ask questions or make a comment. And then following the show, you can continue this discussion on the Research at the National Archives and Beyond Facebook page. In fact, like my page. Also, if you want to receive notices of upcoming shows, just push the follow button and you will be notified every time we're on the air. Well, tonight's discussion will focus on a book written by professor and author Dorothy Roberts entitled Fatal Invention, How Science, Politics, and Big Business Recreate Race in the 21st Century. The subject of race and ancestry has been discussed on this show from several angles. Please listen to The Invisible Line, Secret History of Race in America with Daniel Schottstein, Ebony and Ivy with Craig Stephen Wilder, of course, Stephen Raleigh with Mixed Race Studies, Bernie Jones, Fathers of Conscience, and several DNA shows with Cece Moore, Shannon Christmas, Emily Alessino, and Dr. Joanna Mountain. Well, Dorothy Roberts is the 14th. Penn Integrates Knowledge Professor and a Professor of Law and Sociology at the University of Pennsylvania, 
with joint appointments in the departments of Africana Studies and Sociology and the Law, where she is the inaugural Raymond Pace and Sadie Tanner Moselle Alexander Professor of Civil Rights. She is also director of the Penn Program on Race, Science, and Society. So let me give a warm welcome to Dorothy Roberts to research at the National Archives and beyond. Welcome, Professor Roberts. Thank you, Bernice. It's wonderful to be on your show. Well, it's wonderful to have you on the show, and I am looking forward to just listening to everything you have to share with us. But before we get into the topic for tonight, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Okay. Uh, I have been a professor since 1988. I graduated from law school in 1980, and I practiced law for a while and then decided to go into law teaching. But I've always had a very social science orientation to my work, and which has always been about the intersection of race, gender, and class in various pressing issues facing usually the United States, but they have global implications as well. And my first book that was published in 1997 is Killing the Black Body, Race, Reproduction, and the Meaning of Liberty. And there I trace the history of the reproductive regulation of black women and argued that racism is an important component of understanding reproductive rights in America or the lack of reproductive rights in America. And then I turned my attention to racism in the child welfare system and published in 2001 a book called Shattered Bonds, The Color of Child Welfare on the overrepresentation of black children and families in the child welfare system and how damaging that is to our families and our communities. And then I became interested in the resurgence of scientific research claiming to find genetic differences between races and claiming to find genetic confirmation that the human species is divided into genetically distinct races. That was very alarming to me because I knew the history of race being used to promote racism and racism leading to these definitions of race and thought that there was so much scientific evidence disproving that. Uh, I wanted to write a book about the political implications of this resurgence of the biological concept of race. And that's what led to my latest book, Fatal Invention, How Science, Politics, and Big Business Recreate Race in the 21st Century. Okay, wow. So you wrote the book, but talk more about how do we know that race is political and not a natural grouping? Well, we can look at it many ways from many different types of evidence. One is the history of the invention of race. We can pinpoint it pretty clearly to Europeans beginning to conquer 
other peoples and wanting to justify their domination, their enslavement and colonization and conquest of other uh, groups of people and inventing the concept that human beings are divided into natural races to justify what became known as white people being in control of black people and Asian people and uh, Native Americans. And so we know that domination by Europeans was justified through various uh, scientific, so-called scientific theories and ideologies that created the concept of race. That's one way we know. We also know from evolutionary biologists that have studied the evolution of the human species and looked at genetic variation also across the human species that it's just impossible to divide up the human species into biological races. Uh, There are no clear borders between one race and another, either geographically or uh, genetically. And so that scientific research tells us that as well. And then in addition, I think just, you know, common sense will tell you that you don't know the meaning of race or what the different racial groupings are or who belongs to them unless you refer to legal and social and cultural definitions which are different in different countries around the world and have changed over time, even in the United States. So even in the U.S., every time there's a census, there's a new definition of the racial groups that are identified in the United States. And we can look at the history of racial classifications, how they were defined, how they were proven, and see that they have changed dramatically. So even, even among states in the United States, during the Jim Crow era, different states defined how much of African ancestry you had to have to be determined to be black. So there, have, there are some states that say you have to have a quarter African ancestry to be black. And there eventually became, during the time of Jim Crow, the idea that we have today that if you have any African ancestry or any sign of it, you know, you don't have to do a genetic test. If you look like you've got some African ancestry, then you're defined as black. But Mm -hmm. we could have had a rule that said if you have any European ancestry, you're white. That would be just as logical a rule, just a scientific rule, in which case, Many, many black people in the United States would all of a sudden become white. So That's we right. Well, we have a question. Are... Yes, and we have a comment yeah. coming out of the chat. We have several, yeah. so I'm going to just go back and forth with you and the chatters. But the, uh, the question is, where is the old anthropological definition of race? Uh Crocosoid, well, mongoloid, negroid, right. is this still being used right. in scholarly arenas? Yes, it is. I mean, this is one of the things that's so astounding to me that you have 21st century scientists that are supposed to be using cutting-edge genomic knowledge, and they're using the exact same categories, or pretty much the same categories, that 
scientists, European typologists used hundreds of years ago. You know, these, these same ideas, it basically boils down to five or six groups, black people, white people, Asian people, Native American people, and then, you know, sometimes it's added, some people would say Latinos are a race. Some people would, uh, it used to be that there were uh, maybe a couple Asian races, so maybe Malays were distinguished from Chinese, but everybody was grouped into one of those two. Or uh, now there's the, the grouping Pacific Islanders and uh, Asians. You know, it, it really, there, there's some differences, but the idea that all of human beings and all the variation among human beings can be lumped into five or six categories, that is an idea that comes out of European typology that has stuck with us. And we know that even in Africa, Africa is the most genetically diverse place in the world because that's where human beings originated. So you could go to Africa, and some geneticists have done this, and divide Africa up into tens of races, hundreds of races, thousands of races if you wanted to, so there's nothing natural about saying there's five races or there's six races. That, that very exercise of grouping human beings into a handful instead of hundreds of groupings of populations that, that have some genetic variation, that is completely a political decision. And it really revolves around the idea that white people are a distinct group of people who have superior qualities. And then black people are a distinct group of people who have the most inferior qualities. And then there's some groups in between. But if you think about it, that way of thinking is reflected in society today. And it is a way of thinking that comes out of Racism, it comes out of colonialism and slavery and conquest. And there's no, as far as I'm concerned, there's no other reason why we, not as far as I'm concerned, I mean, as far as I and many historians and uh, biologists and anthropologists and sociologists and legal scholars are concerned, there's no justification for it other than to support this racist power structure. Now, it, it is also the case, I want to make it clear, that in resistance to that, people who are identified as belonging to these different races have created political identities and cultures around mm -hmm. resisting that racist ideology. But before, you know, before enslavement of Africans, there were a multitude of tribes in Africa the creation of the idea of a black race comes out of slavery and, 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 and conquest of different peoples in, on the African continent and then other peoples are, you know, in other places around the world. I, I do believe that today in resistance to enslavement and oppression, black people have created a culture and, a, and an identity, That's but to me it's a political 
commitment. It's a political identity. It's a political culture. It's not anything that comes out of some innate biological characteristics. Okay. And uh, again, more from the chat, uh, is that because all of the races of Africa were lumped together to simply mean not white, and so their own distinctions <laughs> were basically ignored? Well, yes. I mean, it's it's not just the, all the peoples of Africa. It's anyone who has any African descent that's lumped together as black. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Anyone today, you know, in the United States, I think we have this very common idea that, again, comes out of the Jim Crow era, that anyone with any African ancestry is black. And the, the, the various tribal groupings and ethnic groupings in Africa were erased. They were erased during the process of slavery so that, Enslaved people from Africa came from many different tribes, and and uh, and even those were influenced eventually by colonialism. But they came from many different ethnic groupings, but became one race in the United States. So that all black people had a status. What was the significance of that? It was the status of being enslavable, that the, you know, this identifies who naturally were born to have the status of slave. That is a, a, a profound and deeply anti-human way of thinking of human beings. But that is part of what it means to divide human beings into races. That's part of the history of dividing human beings into races, that you are born into a category that you naturally possess and that no matter what you do, you naturally have that, that all the characteristics that are supposed to belong to that category. And that those characteristics are a reflection of and determine your status in society. That's a political category, and that is what race is. It's, it's a purely political category. It, it, and, it, and it is, and, it's, it, and that's such a profound statement that you've made. So the issue of who is white versus who is black is at best ambiguous. Yeah. It has absolutely nothing to do with the inherent biological nature of a person. That's absolutely right. Who is white and who is black? And we can talk in black and white terms, but we shouldn't forget that, of course, there are also Native Americans, Asians. Uh, Again, some people would even say Latinos, although that that is, like all these other categories, very problematic to think about how Latinos could be a race of people, you know, to separate politics from that. But at any rate... Uh, if we focus on black and white, who's black, who's white, those, that question has been contested and has changed throughout U.S. history. There are, were actually lawsuits brought before the U.S. Supreme, that eventually went up to the U.S. Supreme Court to question what, 
who is black and who is white, a very famous case of uh, Finn versus the United States, a man born in India who wanted to be, in the 1920s, naturalized as an American citizen. And at the time, you have to be a, either a white person or black, because after the Civil War, black people were also entitled to birthright citizenship. Prior to the Civil War, you had to be, prove you were white to be naturalized as a U.S. citizen. And then argued that as someone from India and the highest caste in India, he was an Aryan. He was white. <laughs> and in fact, he had anthropological evidence that he fit into the category of white people. And the U.S. Supreme Court rejected his argument, basically saying, white people in America look at you and they don't think you're white, so we're not going to allow you to say you're mm-hmm. white. But these, you know, these are legal and political questions of who gets to have the privileges of whiteness. You know, the way I define white, it's not biological, it's who is determined socially and politically to get the privilege of being a white person in America. And that definition has changed. There was a time when the Irish, the Italian, the Slavs, the Jews were all considered a separate race from people from Northern Europe. And they were subject to bans on immigration. You know, they were subject to eugenic sterilization laws. They were subject to all sorts of negative stereotypes. And then as they assimilated into what was considered white, they became part of the white race. But again, it was a political process. It had nothing to do with their biological makeup. It had to do with whether or not this particular these, these political groupings were going to be accepted into the privileged status of being white. And the same thing happened. The very first laws in the United States in the 1600s in, in the Virginia colony, the question came up immediately. If a slaveholder, a white slaveholder, impregnates a, an enslaved African woman, what is the status of their children? The rule could have been, and actually following British law where the father, the father determined the status of the child, it should have been that the child is white because the child has a white land-holding father. And they right. passed a law. Right, right? Okay, if you mm-hmm. follow the history of British law, the children of white slaveholders should have been white, even if the mother was black. I mean, you could pick either way, black or white. They're half and half, right? Right, yes. This this is so important, Bernice. The law, they passed a law in the 1600s that said no. This, I mean, this was a radical change from the whole history of British inheritance law to say no. The child is black and has the status of the mother. This child is a slave. So even though, you know, Thomas Jefferson and people like him had children, their biological children, they are determined to belong to a different race. 
Now, to me, you look at that, there's no way you can say race is biological. That is absolute proof that race is a political status because it was a political rule, you know, enshrined in law, but purely for a political reason because it was important to slaveholders that whiteness be a privilege to a, to a, a special group of people who were pure, and they wanted to be able to exploit the labor of more people. They wanted black women. Black women had to produce more slaves, especially when the slave trade ended, was abolished. They had to produce slaves within the United States. And so it was important that any child born to a black woman was considered black. But again, that's not a biological or genetic determination. It's a political determination. Wow. And it, uh, and I've just given you some comments out of the chat. The concept of making laws based on race uh, carried till the 20th century. Absolutely. And so th- yes. And yes, so absolutely true. Mm-hmm. So right now, I mean, with with the proliferation of of DNA testing, um, I want to talk more about the implications and more so the implications of some of the comments you've made because we we have genealogists and they're in records and they're seeing things in records and so let's talk about the whole implication of. Uh, the whole science uh, and the political nature of of race. But we're going to take a break and come back, and when we come back, we're going to continue this discussion. Okay. and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. You have been listening to Dorothy Roberts discuss her book, Fatal Invention, How Science, Politics, and Big Business Recreate Race in the 21st Century. 
So let's go back to the whole issue about testing, genetic testing, because clearly the Human Genome Project mapped out and entered human genetic codes a long time ago. And so the codes proved that race could not be identified in our genes. But what's the value and the potential impact of modernizing racial classification with new technology? Right. Well, yes, you're absolutely right. When the human genome map was unveiled by President Clinton and Francis Collins, who was the head of the U.S. Uh, project, and Craig Venter, who was a private scientist who had his own mapping project, uh, they all, all three of them, emphasized that the map of the human genome proved that race could not be identified at the genetic level. And yet, at the very same time, there, and this is what I document in my book, Fatal Invention, there was a renewed interest in using all this new genetic information to confirm that you could actually identify races at the genetic level and then to use genetic data in order to produce products and technologies that were based on a notion of biological distinctiveness among races. So it, it was a, this, this is what really prompted me to write my book. I thought that with the mapping of the human genome showing both the unity, how similar human beings are genetically, but also the vast genetic diversity among human beings, but ac across the globe, not lumped into these categories of races, I thought, and many people thought, that there would be a new science of human genetic diversity or a new science of how genes work in human beings. And mm -hmm. so instead, and there are many scientists who are doing that, but there are also many scientists that are searching, 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 searching for, bio, bio, for genetic reasons for health disparities, for example. You know, can we find the African gene that explains why African-American women have higher rates of HIV, for example, or that explains why young black men die from heart failure at higher rates. Can we uh, use ge the genetic distinctiveness to develop pharmaceuticals uh, for different races? Uh, can we use genetic technologies to allow people to identify their race, which they then can use to figure out which products they should have that are marketed by race. Uh, can we use genetic technologies to identify the race of suspects in crime? You know, just multiple types of scientific projects that are uh, explaining race as genetic distinctiveness and uh, marketing or seeking to market, I don't think we've quite yet seen the explosion that could happen, seeking to market these products according to race. Yet when you, you mentioned, I mean, people and, and various 
medical conditions, and there's not a way yet to determine the biological distinctiveness, or they're also looking at the, the whole sociological and the, the economic and some of the other factors yeah. and variables that may play into the disproportionate number of people of a certain group showing up with certain medical conditions. Right. So there are also many researchers, biomedical researchers, epidemiologists, uh, anthropologists, sociologists who are looking at the social determinants of health. And this this is a long history of study looking at that and very clear evidence that social status is the primary determinant of people's health. That, that ha- we've known that for decades, and yet, despite that, there is this continued search for genetic explanation for health inequities. But there are, for example, there's an interesting body of research that's developing that's looking at how racism, the experience of racism, of racial discrimination, how that can affect your health. One pathway mm-hmm. is, through, is through stress that experiencing discrimination causes stress to the body, chronic stress, not just the kind of stress you feel when you're taking a test, but the stress you feel every day of your life. And that can be an explanation for why African Americans have higher rates of heart disease, for example, cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure. Um, that, That, to me is a much more logical explanation than looking for a, a genetic determination. I'm not saying that genes don't have an impact on health. We know that they do, but we also know, I think there's far better evidence that your social conditions outweigh the genetic determination. And then mm-hmm. we're talking here, though, about inequities. Why is it that African Americans have a higher risk of various diseases, or even really more precisely, a higher risk of death from various diseases. Because, for example, take breast cancer. Black women actually have a lower rate of getting breast cancer than white women, but in some cities like Chicago, black women have twice the rate of dying from breast cancer. And we know that it's not genetic because in 1980, black women and white women had exactly the same rate of death from breast cancer, even though black women had a lower uh, incidence of breast cancer. By 2005, black women were twice as likely to die from breast cancer. And why is that? It's because white women's breast cancer death rate was cut in half over those 20 years because they had the advantages of better mammography, better cancer treatment, and better living conditions. And black women who are predominantly live in Chicago in segregated neighborhoods that have poor living conditions and poor access to health care, their rate did not change at all. They've got absolutely no advantage from these advances that cut the breast cancer rate of white women. It's very clear that that's caused by social inequities, not by differences in genes. 
And so now we're, we have the DNA testing going on. And, mm-hmm. you know, people are searching. You know, they're searching yeah. for identity. And yeah. I personally have not talked to any individual under the heading of African-American that has come out yeah. with a 100% African ancestry. And so what's the implications of, you know, first of all, race, and second of all, what you're finding now in your ancestry? And how does that whole notion play into what's going on in the 21st century? Could it possibly bridge the gap, open up the lines of communication? Or just, just talk about it. Tell me what you think, what's going on. Well, yes. Yeah. So let me first point out that in terms of ancestry testing, there are two kinds of tests, basically. One is the kind of test that claims to tell you what race you are or what percentage of races you are. And the other is the kind that tells you, that traces your matrilineal line or your patrilineal line and tells you what tribe you know, I think people think of it as what tribe your ancestors came from, but it's really telling you what tribe or ethnic group or population in Africa you share a common ancestor with, which is not exactly the same thing. And mm-hmm. so it, it, they, they have these two have different implications. Now, one thing that the, the test that tells you what race you are or what percentage of races you are, one implication, one finding, as you said, is that people find out that they're not purely, you know, one the race they thought they were, and they yes. be a mixture of different so-called races. Um, I have to say, I don't know why people didn't know that already. I mean, you can look <laughs> at African Americans and see, and you know the history of African-Americans, and you, you know from that, without any DNA testing, that many African-Americans have mixed ancestry. They have ancestors from Europe because some, you know, many have ancestors uh, who were slaveholders, who, uh, who, who raped their enslaved uh, women. And uh, so there are many African-Americans who have, who are descend from that history, and many others who descend from, uh, you know, non-coercive relationships. I mean, it's it's not the case that even though interracial marriage is fairly low in the United States, it's still not the case it's non-existent, or that interracial sexual relations resulting in children you know, is non-existent. I mean, that has gone on for hundreds of years. So we know that this idea of pure races is just is just false. It's false. And yet many scientists are relying on it to do this kind of research. I mean, to me, even if you say someone is half black, half white, you're still repeating the idea that there really is a pure white race and a pure black race. So I find very often people say if someone who has a white, you know, let's just say a white mother and a black father, 
they're considered biracial. But that's assuming that the white mother really is purely European and the black father really is purely African. That may not be the case either. And so that's right. our, our, very notion, <laughs> our very notion of mixed race relies on a false concept of pure races to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so, but, but at any rate, these findings of mixture do in some way challenge, I think, the idea that there is some innate natural division among human beings into pure races and that they have stayed pure until the very recent past. I think that, again, I don't think we need genetic testing to show that, but I mean, historians know that already. And this is a broader point I would make also about the whole interest in genealogy. To me, what's interesting about genealogy is knowing about your actual ancestors being able to look at the historical records and learn about who your actual ancestors were and their histories, their stories. I personally am less interested in the, um, the DNA testing because that doesn't tell you anything about your actual ancestors, you know, anything in detail. Uh, and so um, unfortunately, though, African Americans are have a big barrier to learning about their ancestors, their actual ancestors in Africa because of the slave trade. So I I understand the interest in using DNA as a substitute to get some information about our ancestry. But I think people have to understand the limitations of that the scientific limitations, you know, a DNA ancestry testing company cannot tell you anything about a common ancestor you share with someone or some group in Africa. They haven't collected the DNA from that group. And if you have, if your ancestors come from a part of Africa or a an ethnic group in Africa and the company hasn't collected the DNA from that group, it cannot tell you that you share a common ancestor with anyone from that group because they don't have that, they don't have them in their sample, you know, in, in their database. They can That's only right. And, right. And so, I mean, a, another comment coming out of the chat is that the limitation is, is well understood um, in the genealogy community. However, there, there's also um, an opportunity for individuals to at least connect with relatives, some may be very distant, to help advance their genealogical research by perhaps identifying or finding a common ancestor. I think that the issue, though, is can you, I mean, can you, Take that and and say, okay, I have my I have my ancestry composition, you know, population ancestry. I know population wise how I'm broken down. I I find uh-huh. people I'm matching with. They share with me 
a tree and I start looking and start searching and trying to connect the dots because we have some missing links uh in our um in our our history we sometimes we just don't know can't find them don't even know where to start so um is this would this however be considered a good use of the science not saying well, that I, I, there's a biological right. difference, but saying that does right. the science itself help right. advance your genealogical research? Right, right. Well, it it does. If if, if I think if people who are using it understand the limitations, they understand that if they go to three companies, they might get three different results depending on the algorithms, you know, the formulas that the company is using, and each one has its own patented formulas that they use, and the database that the company has. So you may end up with different results. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, understand that the company cannot tell you exactly who your ancestors are or tell you that your ancestors came from this as the tribe as it's defined today. You know, there were also migrations in Africa. There were changes in different uh, political lines in Africa. So it can tell you that you share a common ancestor. You're likely to share a common ancestor. You're most likely to share a common ancestor among the groups that it tested, it sampled in its database with this particular group. So if you understand those limitations, you you can go from there. But I think it's still going to be very difficult once you have that group or those groups to find actual ancestors in that group today because the records, by and large, for most people, don't exist. Now, I, I don't want to... You know, people have different, there's some people who, couldn't, who, you know, they're not interested in who their ancestors are. There's some people who are very interested. I think a lot of this is a personal decision about how important it is to you. And I don't want to discount anybody's personal decision that it's important to them to get the best evidence they possibly can, knowing that it may not be absolutely right, given all of these scientific and historical limitations. Um, so, uh, and what uh, you're, let, let me just clarify, what you're yeah. referencing specifically, though, are individuals who are seeking to find the tribal connection in Africa. Right. Which right. is exactly different, which is, now. yeah, that's right. what you're referencing right now, which is different. Right now. From some of the other tests, where they may be telling you a region, but no one is basically saying this is your defined tribal linkage. Well, different different companies define the population they're tracing your common ancestor too, uh, but. I think basically 
they're the ones that tell, there's some companies that will tell you, you know, you're 50% African descent, 25% European descent, and 25% Native American, for example. Yes, so that's, that's right. Some, mm-hmm. So they're, it's basically, they will call it, a, they call it a biogeographical grouping, yes. but it just happens to be racial, you know, map onto racial groupings. And then there's the other kind, which was what I was just recently referring to, that traces your maternal line or your paternal line to a particular tribe or ethnic group or, you know, smaller population within Africa. I mean, they, it also there's some that uh, trace uh, Native American tribal heritage and some that trace uh, Jewish people's heritage to particular Jewish tribes as well. And those are the ones, the second type is the one that I'm saying, if you feel very strongly that you want to know where your ancestors came from, that, you know, that, may, that may be all you can rely on but you need to know the limitations of it. There is no company that can tell you absolute, with absolute certainty that your ancestors came from a particular tribe. Mm-hmm. It's, some, some may be better than others. Some, if, you know, the bigger the database, the more likely they are to find a, the, the tribe that you have a common ancestor with. Um, and uh, it, but it also depends on these proprietary algorithms and formulas that they use. You know, I like to say your DNA doesn't have race or tribal ancestry written on it. Scientists have to come up with both you know, technologies, procedures, and mathematical formulas to identify what is enough similarity to, to, ident, you know, to say you belong to this group or your ancestors belong to this group or your ancestors share a com- or you share a common ancestor with people in this group. So none of it is absolutely certain. Some companies are better than others. And so that, that is what you have to go with, again, I, I I think it's it will be a real challenge to take that information and act and find your actual ancestors because you the, the records just were not kept in most cases. I'm not saying it's not it, I'm not saying it's impossible for everybody, but the chances are pretty low. And then there's also then the question of how important it is it to you to learn what DNA can tell you versus what historical records can tell you. So I'll, I'll just talk personally. I'm interested in my actual ancestors and uh, whatever historical records will tell me about them. But that, to me, is very different from DNA testing, 
which I just don't think is accurate enough to give me the information I want. So in, so what it can do is connect you to a group in Africa. But then for me, I would ask myself, well, what kind of connection do I want to make to a group in Africa, a, a, a nation in Africa, a tribe in Africa? There are many other ways you can make a connection. So, for example, I mentioned in Fatal Invention, my sister currently has been, she has been living in Liberia for several years, helping to build schools in Liberia. Now, we have no knowledge that she has a genetic connection or she has common ancestors in Liberia. She happen, it happens that my family was traveling in Liberia when she was born there. So she has a connection of birth there, and she also was excited that Liberia elected a woman president. And she saw it as a place that could use her services. She's trained in early childhood education, and she knew that their school system was destroyed by the Civil War. So she's in Liberia, not as a result of a genetic test, but as a result of a family history, uh, a, a political interest, and a concern about school children in Liberia. To me, that is just as good a reason to get involved in Liberia as if she took a genetic test that said your aunt, you have share a common ancestor with a tribe in Liberia. Right, but we're going so, to move on because what, one of the things that I, I want to, to uh, have you say, and we're getting kind of close to the, to the end of the show, yeah, but yeah, the, the yeah. point is, is that the, the science is there, the testing is there, Individuals are testing, and I'm, there's one test that I'm not really referencing, and that's those who are testing to find their African ancestry. That is not what I'm looking right. at. But there's autosomal right. testing. There are the other two, the YMT DNA testing, of which people right. are connecting, and they are connecting with relatives that they did not know exist, you have individuals who are classified as white who are finding that they have relatives that are classified as African-American and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. So from yeah. an implication perspective, and, it, you know, this is where, you know, we talk about science. Is there a chance now that we're, we understand what's going on, we know it's political, is there an opportunity to bridge the gap and to entertain a whole new dialogue about race and relationships within the, the population in America? I mean, that's the question right. that I'm well, asking. Can it yes, make a difference? But, yes. So... I, I, I'll be honest, again, all I can tell you is what I think about this. To me, we know, we have known since the time of slavery that people have mixed ancestry. We have known But the issue is not what have we have known. People. This is not the issue, though. The issue is not what we have known. The issue is what we are finding out. And what we're finding but, out you know, but, is that okay, there are individuals... 
that yeah. we're connecting with that we had never connected with before as cousins. That's what that's what's happening yes. with the DNA right. testing, and that's really what my question is about. And that right. is, can oh. the science help bridge the gap between those that had grown up in life with the classification of being white and or the classification of being black, and now they're connecting with each other. Is this an opportunity? I I just want to reference the past. It's an opportunity for people who are willing to do it. But what I'm saying is, the opportunity was there during the Jim Crow South for people to connect where they knew that they had, you know, cousins, but they they didn't do it. Even today, the opportunity exists. Uh, what my point is, the DNA itself isn't going to do it. There still has to be a willingness to yes. let go of privilege based on race and to join together in anti-racist practice and work yes. and struggle. And yes. you, can, you can find out what the DNA tells you and ignore it or make up excuses for it. And so I think that we can't rely on the DNA. I'm happy if the DNA helps somebody to realize that our common humanity and the wrongs of racism – Bless them. That's good. But Mm -hmm. I don't think that that is going to be enough. Again, Thomas Jefferson knew that he had children who he enslaved. He knew that with or without a DNA test. It didn't matter to him. These were his own children. That's true of hundreds of slaveholders. They knew that these were their children. Forget cousins you discover through DNA there, you know, there are people who know. They know these are their children. And, and it they still doesn't make a difference. That's my point. So I'm not, I'm not dismissing the, the, the potential that these discoveries, genetic discoveries have had for some people. I'm just saying that we can't rely on that to be enough. The genetic discoveries can have also been the basis for reinforcing racial difference. As mm-hmm. I was saying earlier, the scientists that are arguing that there is genetic proof that races not only are distinct, but that they have different intelligence, different propensities for violence. And it always turns out that black people in among these people who are spouting this I would say, misinformed and false science and racist science, it's always that black people are prone to violence, prone to lack of intelligence, prone to sexual promiscuity, and prone to all sorts of diseases. That also is a use and misuse of DNA science. So to me, the science can be geared toward justice and it can be geared toward injustice. And yes, the science that's is, true. You know, it's not going to end racism. There has to be a political struggle and a political willingness to end it. And the, the science can follow that 
but it by itself isn't sufficient. That that that's my point. I got that's it. Point. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> well. <laughs> Right. So uh, that's just a question from the perspective of political science. You are correct, especially when using <laughs> the old terms of race. This is a comment that's coming out of the uh, the chat room. And so, Dorothy, this has been a very interesting and engaging conversation. Certainly, it's one that I think we need to keep con- talking about. We have the test. The companies happy. are out. Yes, the companies are out there. We need to see what's going to evolve from what's going on uh, because it is there. I mean, it's being, they're being promoted. They're not telling people, find out your ancestry. And so with people doing that, we need to also talk about it, and that is the very reason I brought you on tonight. And so I want to thank you so much. You all have been listening to Dorothy Roberts the author of Fatal Invention, How Science, Politics, and Big Business Recreate Race in the 20th Century. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Oh, sure. Thank okay. you, too. Okay. Well, check out my show next week, everyone. We will be discussing South Carolina research with the authors of Our Ancestors, Our Stories, and we're also hoping that Dr. Arville Vernon Burton will also join us to talk about the history and resources available in the Old Edgefield District of South Carolina. So good night, everyone. Thank you, Dorothy Roberts. And remember, your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, research at the National Archives and beyond. You can continue this discussion on the Research at the National Archives and Beyond Facebook page and also remember to listen to the African Roots podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday and Nurturing Our Roots with Antoinette Harrell on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Thank you for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This show is sponsored by your hosts, Bernice Bennett, BB's Genealogy and Educational Services, LLC, and my website is www.geniebroots.com. I look forward to you joining me next Thursday. Good night, everyone. Thank you, Dr. Rob.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.